Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary, a podcast about people who astonish me. Today's is especially good because it features a man who is on fire. You may notice that the sound quality is not perfect, especially around the 23-minute mark today. At that moment, a third party showed up. I thought about cutting that portion, but then I decided things are just a little bit more real this way. So let's get straight into the second episode. Only 27 years old, Tyler Sapala is on FIRE, that's F-I-R-E, and it's the plan known as Financial Independence Retire Early. Although it's fair to say that this super fit, former Ironman with a double major, multiple jobs, and experimentalist hobbies will probably never retire. He'll always be traveling, working, learning new languages, using his hands, learning to tune pianos, possibly become a butcher, own a farm, read Aristotle, become self-sufficient, and go wherever his wide-ranging mind and reading lead him. One time, he read up on fasting and safely didn't eat anything for five full days. Right now, Tyler teaches high school Latin and Western Sib, but he's also obsessed with weightlifting and lately, home-cooked food. Friends, this is Tyler Sapala. Thanks for having me, Tim. It's quite an introduction. I feel like I have a lot to live up to. <laughs> well, you do. I hope people are still listening. So, you're doing FIRE. What exactly does FIRE mean in your world? Um, so, I think I've practiced the principles of FIRE, although I don't think I have an end goal that's necessarily to um, retire early and just, uh, I guess, live lavishly for a good chunk of my life. Um, I think I practice the principles um, which allow a person to retire, but I don't really have a desire to um, get to the point where I'm no, no longer doing something productive or something useful in my life, if that makes sense. So I think the the initial stages of fire are things that I implement of frugality, um, really being thoughtful about purchases and those types of things and um, saving well, investing early. Those types of things, I guess. Okay. Now, fire for people who don't know, it might involve, it might involve saving 70% of your income every single month. Right. Yeah. I think it's, um, it takes a lot of scrutiny of, of the, the ways that you're spending money. Uh, you want to maximize, obviously, the, the amount of spe- uh, saving that you do and minimize the spending. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, the goal is to save as much as possible without... Uh, I guess losing all fun in life. Um, but yeah, yeah, you really want to, I think you really want to critique the ways in which you are spending and not just go along with the modern um, approach to to the ways that you live life, the ways that you spend. Um, and I think it, it is kind of, um, it's fun when you like, when you really start getting into it because you you realize that there are actually so many avenues that people don't often take um, for saving and then it's like, it's the type of thing that once you start saving, you, you like, you feel like Dave Ramsey talks about that snowball effect and like, you feel good about it and you're like, wow, I could do this. And, and the more that you save, the more that you invest, the more that that money compounds and, and grows. And then you feel even better and then you just keep doing it. And before you know it, you have uh, quite a bit to work with. 
Okay, well, I'm going to get into some of the specifics of your lifestyle because I think people are going to either be fascinated and want to do it, or like some people I know, they are going to be just shocked and appalled and somewhat dismayed. Um, but before we do that, I just kind of want to ask, okay, so you're a high school teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, the average high school teacher out there uh, makes maybe about the median income in the United States. I looked it up. Uh, the median income is roughly fifty to $55,000 a year. Uh, you're on the younger side, so you're making less than the median income. So th there's just going to be a lot of people who are going to say, okay, look, how do you possibly, like if you're under $50,000 a year and somehow you are saving 70% of your income, I, a lot of people are just going to say, why do this? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, do you want to live in a cave? Uh, do you <laughs> want to like wear a lens for clothing? Uh, do you eat anything other than rice and beans and, I don't know, maybe, like, things you find in the woods? Like, <laughs> why would you do this? You're not making very much money in the first place, and here you're cutting off so much pleasure. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, I think there is an argument to be made. Like, I think some people do go so hardcore that they lose sight of, of things which are, are enjoyable in life. But I think there are, honestly, ways in which you can save and not have it be so um, horrible. <laughs> but like, I think I am blessed um, that I have um, I, I have had some time in, in my youth where I don't, don't have the responsibility of, of children yet. So I, I do have more freedom to be able to save in ways that like some people that I know, some of my friends don't have an ability to. Um, however, like, I'll just give one example, um, like housing, for example. Um, <clears throat> like some people I think would... Uh, perhaps just live in a one bedroom apartment or two bedroom apartment all to themselves and maybe spend like 700 to a thousand bucks a month in Kansas city. Um, and that's like perhaps a typical thing. Um, but the ways that I've tried to mitigate the expenses for housing is, is, um, to be living with people, which I actually think is more, um, it's, it's a, it's a more healthy decision on my part, uh, because I think I do better with other people. So, something like uh, a $700 expense every month is now like I've had, I've had rent as cheap as 250 bucks because I shared, shared a room with a person uh, and actually shared a room with many people. Like uh, there's maybe about a year of my life when I was sharing a room with four other guys um, ended up making a triple bunk bed so I could accommodate all those guys. But we had a bigger bed as a master bedroom Um which like to I don't know to a, to a person who doesn't like really think too much outside of the box like that would feel like intrusive maybe but there 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 might be a little bit of a cost but when you think about saving um, potentially five hundred bucks a month and over the course of many years like I think those are the things that really add up you wanna you really want to like find ways in which you can not only like increase your happiness like. For me, it was I had more friends, more community uh, that I was living with, while at the same time uh, saving money. So I don't think it's necessarily a correlation between like your your spending amount and the, your happiness level. I, I I often find it as uh, almost the opposite. Like um, the more I save intentionally, uh, the more I'm I'm actually happy. So I think yeah, I always think there's like a way. There, there's it's fun to be creative too. Like just to to think like, how could I, how could I save an extra 10 grand this year? And, um, you probably know the guy, Mr. Money Mustache. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he has a big following now and 
I think he was the one who encouraged me to really think twice about my transportation budget. Um, this was maybe like, this would have been like four years ago now. Um, when he, he like really encourages listeners to do about 90% of their travel on a bicycle. And I was like, <laughs> that's impossible. Who, who rides a bike, especially in the Midwest? And he's in uh, Colorado. Uh, but I was just thinking, I was like, no, nobody does that. Nobody rides a bike 90% of the time. I think like almost 100% of the time people take a car, um, even if it's for like a short, a short trip. But I really like, I think I, I, I thought about it for about a week and I was like, could I actually do something like that and, and maybe keep my car for a little bit, but try to do 90% of my transportation through something that's free. Um, and so I let my, I just, I think that's like the first step is like, I really let myself think about it. Like, could I actually do that? And as I thought about it, I was like, well, you know what? I think I actually might be able to. Um, cause almost like all the things that I like typically went to my work, the grocery store, church, um, the friends that I saw, they, they were actually all within an eight mile radius. Um, and my friends that I lived with, they typically went to the places that I went to anyway. So I could mooch off of them a bit, <laughs> um, respectfully, <laughs> but I, um, yeah, I guess I just realized that I could actually do this if I, I was willing to to sacrifice a little bit, maybe a little bit of comfort. Um, and so, yeah, he 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 actually encouraged me um, so much that I ended up selling my car and went for a full year without any type of vehicle. And after the first year of going without a car, any vehicle at all, I did. I ended up buying a motorcycle just to be able to go a little bit further distances. I go back home to Minnesota and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, that was like a decision that I think ended up saving me about five grand a year, um, by doing all my transportation in a bicycle. So yeah, I think there's a lot of value in thinking outside of the box and, um, at least critiquing the ways in which you're spending money. Okay. So getting into just a little bit of the numbers on the car here. So was that five grand a year after the buying the car? So that's, is that it's independent of the price of the car? Yeah. Like the price that I sold the car for. Or that you bought it for? Um, yeah, so I think I bought the car for about five thousand. Ended up selling it for about fifty five hundred. Okay, <laughs> so you I made a profit on a car. Yeah, I made a little profit. I only know one other person who's done that, and that's my ninety four year old uncle Merlin, who is a just a financial. I, I don't know. This guy has always had the lucky touch, and he's so generous too. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was great, um, and, and I don't think it was like. Um, a bad a bad sale i think my i bought it from my dad who kept really good uh care of it and i did the same and it, i didn't have it for very long before i sold it so um yeah i ended up making a little bit of profit on on the sale but then um i estimated that um by not having all the typical expenses the maintenance the insurance um the gasoline all that stuff that goes into a car i so i i saved about five grand a year um, by not my not having a car, so um, so yeah, I guess with the sale of the vehicle itself and then the savings, it was about it ended up being about ten grand that I had pocketed that first year. Okay, so then let's do a few investment calculations. If you mm -hmm. take that money and put it in a garden variety index fund uh, and leave it there, you're 27. If you just let it sit there for I don't know 30, 40 years, you can pick the time frame. Mm -hmm. uh, what does that uh, one less car per family situation 
turn into if I don't spend it all on pizza and beer instead. Right, right. Yeah, I, I've looked at that too. It's, it's really interesting. Um, I think over the course of like 30 to 35 years, depending on the market, like to say, it's just like a historical average of like 7 to 9%. It ends up, ends up being a little bit over $1 million, mm. um, which like <clears throat> I think the really hard thing is, is – uh, is making that a habit, making that a lifestyle. Um, Cause I think a lot of people that like the similar to a phone, you know, like when you get a new phone, it's like, Oh, it's only 30 bucks a month. You know, like, right. I, I can handle that. Like 30 bucks. Like that's not too difficult. Like one of my friends used to joke, it's $30 a month for the rest of your life. Yeah, it basically is. Cause I mean, after the two years that you have that plan for, you buy another phone. So it's 30 bucks a year for the rest of your life. You're right. Um, but we don't realize that that money, like, <clears throat> If you were instead to save that money, you'd have so much. It, it just grows so much because you're you're growing it with the stock market and it's compounding and um, it's just such a beautiful thing. But it, it's not something that's like exhilarating at first, mm-hmm. and that's I, I really think that's the hard part for people is it's not it's not a sexy thing at first. <laughs> it's not like you're getting a an emotional high uh, right away. Because um, it takes it takes a great deal of time before it like really starts to become um, something like substantial, but I think that's like what I've um, yeah like with the the savings of the, the like diminishing the amount of vehicles that you have so like whatever your situation is I'm I'm not saying that everybody has to like go carless for the rest of their life but it is something to consider like let's say you are a three car family is there a way in which you could diminish it to two cars and then save like on all that insurance, maintenance, gasoline, um, and try to do majority of your trips just with the two vehicles that you have. Um, the same formula works, I guess, to like, uh, potentially about 4,500 to $5,000 a year, depending on the cars that you buy. I think, I think the average American actually spends about seven grand. I think I looked this up like a year ago. Per year, uh, yeah, on their car, their, their vehicles cost them about seven to eight grand a year, if, if I'm remembering that right. Um, so I guess my number is a little on the low side, but I, you probably could go like if you had like a super cheap car and you're like doing all the maintenance or doing the minimum maintenance. I don't know, but it, it's probably around four, four to five grand that you'd be saving. But yeah, you make that a lifestyle every single year that you're doing that for like thirty years. Yeah, that that ends up becoming about a little over a million bucks if you invest that in simple index funds that you don't even have to think about. Um, so yeah, it's, it's those lifestyle choices of making it like a habit and you're not thinking about it anymore, set it, forget it. Um, just a more like a, a fr- more frugal lifestyle and it, it truly pays dividends. Okay. Now, I mean, there's the big four when it comes to saving money, and we've talked about transportation and housing, and then there's also food and taxes. Uh, I I want to actually ask you about food and taxes, but first, I really want to ask you this. So, okay, I think a lot of people hear, oh, no car. That just sounds like hell. That just sounds like deprivation. That Mm -hmm. just sounds like, you know, I'd rather gargle razor blades than to, like, go without a car. I'd rather get nibbled to death by ducks. Like this, like what kind of ridiculous Spartan lifestyle is this? This is just, so I'd like you to maybe kind of get into some of the hidden pleasures. Yeah. 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 That's not a, having a car. That's a good point. Um, that's something I missed because, uh, it almost is like a, a natural antidepressant in a way. Like, I, I think a lot of people say that about exercise, like, 
Uh, people get addicted to running marathons. People get addicted to doing triathlons or lifting weights. Um, it take it might take a little while to get into it if you're not used to doing something like that at first. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be hell for a little while. And I think like somebody looking at a at a bicycle and saying like, how the heck can you do that throughout the whole year and even in the winter time? Like, why would you do something like that? And I I would admit like, yeah, if you're gonna try to do this, it's gonna be awful for the first maybe few weeks as you're doing this, but the Again, it, it all comes down to habituation. Like the more you make it a habit, the more enjoyable it becomes. And actually, I prefer—I still prefer riding my bike to driving a car, because the, the the mentality that I find myself having is in a car. I'm merely preoccupied about getting to the destination. I don't really enjoy the scenery that's before me, because um, I'm traveling at a pace in which you, it's not—it's just not natural to enjoy scenery. Um, it's nice to have the luxury to go far, farther distances, but um, in a bicycle, the speed is slowed down to such an extent that I'm actually seeing the sunrise in the morning. I'm actually seeing the sunset. I'm seeing the birds. I'm, I'm witnessing the trees. It's it's allowing me to travel at a pace that is more like natural to my humanity. Um, so yeah, I, I've noticed when I'm at school and had I ridden my bike that morning, I'm just like more alive. I'm, I'm ready to go for the day. Um, yeah, I think I, my mood is increased because of it. So yeah, yeah, it's not just a financial decision again. To back to the same thing with like the roommates. Like it's not just like the reason why I have roommates is not merely to save money. It's to save money, but it's also to have community. Same thing is true with transportation. The reason why I ride a bike is not just to save money. It's also because it's good for my health. It's good for my mood. Uh, I feel better. So yeah, there's there's many reasons to do. I, I think the things that I've done before. See, here, here's the I think the overriding human problem, and I I feel like you've really thought about it and you've tried to implement it. It's that all of the things that feel good to me in the short term, like spending a whole bunch of money, uh, eating a big pile of sugar, um, not exercising and being sedentary, uh, you know, being lazy and putting off my work. Uh, in the long term, all of those things feel like hell. Uh, in the short term, they feel great. Then all the things that feel great in the long term are the things that you're doing. You know, you're exercising, you're outdoors, you're riding your bike, uh, you're saving money, uh, you know, you're being generous to other people. Uh, these things make us feel good in the long term. I just feel like this is the, uh, the human trap, the human body trap, is that all the things that feel great in the short term basically will kill us. And uh, all the things that feel great in the long term don't feel all that great in the short term. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about this? And is this, I mean, how does this impact how you lead your life? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it it is something I've actually thought about, um, like when making decisions. It's a good question. It's a good, like, um, tool to use to ask the question, uh, will this benefit long term me (laughs) or is this just benefiting short term me? Because um, I think it's like Jacko Willing, too, who talks about this. Like, You see the donuts on the, the counter in the teacher's office. <laughs> like, You really want that. In the sh- like the short-term me would love to have a donut right now. But I think Jacko says something like, imagine, imagine this. Would, will you die if you don't eat that donut? <laughs> and like, of course I won't die. But the thing is, is like, like basically the second that I walk away from the donut, I'm back to normal and I'm feeling fine. It's just like in that, 
in the present moment when you witness the donut, short-term me is like really wanting that donut. But if you just take a, a second to think, like what would long-term me really want? And long-term might just be like 10 seconds from now. And that, that would be not to have the donut. Um, I'm not saying you could never have a donut. I love donuts and mm-hmm. I struggle with donuts sometimes. <laughs> but that, that is a question I, I try to repeat to myself. What, what is in, the, what is in long, the, the interest of long-term me? I remember reading this in, I think, one of the Heath Brothers books that a good way to make decisions is to ask yourself six months from now, looking back, what am I going to wish that I would have done? And that can be a good way to make a decision. I, full disclosure, I'm hoping to land a donut sponsor for this podcast, <laughs> so I'm probably going to have to cut that whole previous segment here. Kids, donuts are good for you. Eat 12 a day. Actually, uh, <laughs> My girlfriend uh, is a medical um, person. Uh, yeah, she's in med school right now. But they've been giving out a uh, free dozen Krispy Kreme every Monday. <laughs> that has been a, a tough situation for me. <laughs> Just like a, a free dozen. Okay. I don't know what to do here. <laughs> Sell them. Give them away. Right, I, I right. found that other people, um, you know, I actually I don't call them donuts anymore. I call them pre-existing conditions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just say. Okay, so here is kind of why I wanted to talk about the big four, which is taxes, uh, transportation, groceries, and housing. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's probably about 75% of the average person's budget. And uh, see, the thing is, I I love Dave Ramsey, and I think everybody needs Dave Ramsey. And, And Dave will sometimes talk about housing, and he will sometimes talk about transportation, and he will talk about food in the sense that you should eat rice and beans. But a huge chunk of the cuts that Dave has people make are from the fun part of the budget, mm-hmm. the other 25%, mm-hmm. because that other 75%, oftentimes, a lot of people just treat that like a fixed cost. Mm-hmm. Well, like, I can't do anything about housing, but you did. I can't do anything about transportation, but you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you speak to us a little bit either about food or mm-hmm. taxes? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I'll start with food. Um I think, first of all, when I'm on my own, I, I, I tend to be pretty simple. Like, my food is normally something like a, a can of tuna. Um, I do eat, like, I, I eat fruits and vegetables. Um, but yeah, it's a can of tuna, maybe some rice. Uh, all things which are very cheap, especially when you buy in bulk. Um, I have been getting into cooking. Uh, I, I do think that, like, you can spend a lot of money when you are trying to like make nice recipes. However, um, I've noticed this uh, recently with my girlfriend that it's actually like a really enjoyable experience to cook your food. Um, it can be like cheaper. It's definitely cheaper than going out to eat. Um, but it's like one of those things that we almost view as like entertainment. I think it's like perhaps instead of watching, like we don't really watch any TV or we hardly ever watch movies, but um, we do cook almost like maybe four to five times a week. And we bake a lot too. We've been baking a lot of sourdough bread. We've been baking uh, other things, but all from scratch. And it's just like, it's a very rewarding thing because you get to eat what you're, what you're creating. Um, so in a way, I think like I've, I've combined uh, a few different categories there with like uh, the food budget and the entertainment budget uh, coming into one category. Um and we, yeah, we've enjoyed that because I don't think we're spending like a great deal of money on the, on the recipes because we try to find things which are 
not so uh outlandishly yeah, high. Yeah. Or like we're not having sushi every night. Yeah. We're not eating Kodiak bear fresh from Alaska. <laughs> I've never thought about that. Maybe. I think it's a thing. <laughs> um yeah, we don't we don't get the recipes where you have to like go and find those ingredients. Um and I think like it is it's a it's also something that's developing our skills too. So it's it's entertainment, it's something that we have to like we have to eat food to survive. Um, and then <clears throat> the last thing I think is that it is something that's, it's a skill for us. So yeah, we're, we're, we're doing all those three things at the same time. So like, I think it's a good, it's good to know how to cook food, how to bake food. Um, so that you're not relying upon restaurants and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just absolutely a wonderful, excellent idea. It just kind of reminds me of gardening that people just really kind of enjoy, like, you know, sticking their hands in the dirt and things like that. So uh, we are saving money by living in the bad part of town. <laughs> and there are police sirens everywhere just all the time. Um, actually, I'm guilty of numerous crimes. I think they're coming for me. I have to go. Okay, I'm back now. They weren't they're looking for me. Uh, okay, how about taxes? What do you do for taxes? Taxes. I don't do them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do them. <laughs> uh, no, that's something I haven't actually been able to um, really find ways to save on. Like, I know there are some people who um, like really try their best to, like I think you mentioned before, like perhaps thinking more about, um, you want to pause for just a second? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can just chit chat for a yeah. little bit, wait for your roommate dude here to go by. <laughs> uh, well, here's where you are actually saving money on taxes well i'll just cut all this part out yeah um you are saving it with the 401k yeah and you were saving it right. with a Roth IRA right yeah so that's true. I mean, you know you could say you know what you're saying which is you haven't found uh tons of ways just yet but you're mm-hmm. using the options available to you mm-hmm. and then kind of related to all that is that you are um if you don't have like a whole bunch of other expenses, then that actually means you can put money into a 401k. Mm-hmm. Instead of needing that money right now, you're able to put it into a 401k. Mm-hmm. So um, all that's kind of available to you. Yeah. So. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, should we? Uh, Did you want to cut it so you know? No, I cut it later. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if you wanted to just be part of the whole editing process. Okay. Yeah. Sounds so. good. Yeah. All right. It'll be just fine. I'm sure. <clears throat> Okay. All right, ready? Let's put it back on you here. So okay. Okay. So, well, I didn't know if like if it was gonna be too loud for me and uh, then not loud enough for you. No, but I'm also recording off of the cell phone. Oh, okay. So like gotcha. it'll work out either way. I'm okay. Sure. Sounds good. And I'll tell you what. By the time I get to the fiftieth episode, then it will just be amazing. You know, this <laughs> yeah. is the second episode. Right. You know. Very so, good. Uh, this is already better than yesterday. <laughs> so yeah. So Sounds okay. Good. So yeah. Okay. So taxes. Uh, yeah, how are you trying to save money on taxes? Yeah, that's a good question. I think this one for me is the hardest category to to find ways to save a ton of money. Um, it, it, well, at least I say that because uh, you don't really witness how much money you might be saving right away. But there are tools like the the Roth IRA, the um, the 401ks. Um, I, am, I am maxing out my Roth IRA every year. Um, I think that's most people say that's uh, it's a good if you can it's a good tool to to add to your repertoire. Um, so that'll be yeah it's it's growing tax free so when I take that money out it won't be taxed. Um, but in terms of like contributing I, like I haven't at least in this stage of my life I'm not capable of of 
uh, putting too much money aside into my 401k. Like I, I do definitely um, the matching through my employer. I take advantage of, of all those things. Um, but I'm not putting in like the 18 grand a year, the 401k, and then trying to, I'm not trying to jump tax brackets, I guess. Um, if I were in a situation in which I could afford something like that, I might think about it. But I also don't think I need that much money for retirement. Like I don't need to put in 18 to 19 grand a year for my 401k. Um, so I'd say, yeah, my Roth IRA is the biggest thing that's uh, saving money on taxes. Um, trying to think anything else. I mean, I do give money to charity. I think that I think the government just increased uh, an added incentive for uh, giving money to charity. It's, it's not something like super significant, but I think it is something like three hundred dollars and above. Um, you do get an added tax break for this coming year because I think they they did a, just a standard deduction for the past few years. Uh-huh. But I think because of the coronavirus, I think they're oh. they're adding in um, extra incentive to give money to charity. Okay, now that I have not heard or don't yeah. know about, and so I apologize. Uh, but but people yeah. will have to look that up. Yeah, and- Peter Peter Maluk uh, was recently talking about that on his podcast, Creative Planning. Uh, their podcast, Down the Middle, is what it's called. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe a little, just a little tax break there, but worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, especially always a good thing to give money to charity. Absolutely. <clears throat> okay. Well, then the last category to look at, I think, is entertainment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and or just discretionary. That's the last 25% of the average person's buddy, money. Uh, what do you do mm-hmm. for entertainment? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I do really enjoy traveling. We haven't been doing, haven't been able to do like a ton of that during this time. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I have to, I've been graced with the ability to travel quite a bit throughout my life so far. I mean, I'm only 27 years old. I've been to Africa. I've been to Europe a couple of times. Um, I've traveled the United States quite a bit. And all of this has been uh, essentially paid for uh, through my, whether it might be uh, through a charity organization because we're doing some mission work or it might be through, I think my school paid for one trip Um and then one another one of the trips to Italy, I was teaching, and the teaching program paid for my flight to Italy, back to the United States. And then while I was in Italy, they also paid us um, close to about a thousand bucks. So it's like it, it, it's uh, again there are, there are ways to do the things that people normally associate with like high expenses, and 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 find ways to do them almost like free. Um, and I mean, there's credit cards too. I know a lot, some people have uh, mixed feelings about credit cards, but there's uh, like the Chase Sapphire Preferred. There's like, I think about close to 750 bucks of a bonus that you get for travel by uh, spending the appropriate amount over the first three months. So like that in and of itself is uh, basically a round trip to, to Europe. Um, so yeah, there, there are definitely ways to have entertainment and uh, enjoy those experiences with without it uh breaking the bank. Um, yeah, travel has been big. I, again, I mentioned like, I love being creative. That's kind of my entertainment. I don't, I, I, I do enjoy like sports and music, but I, I find myself like much, I, I prefer to be the one doing the thing, I think, rather than witnessing the thing for whether that be sports or whether that be cooking. Like, I, I think I admire people who do it really well, but I, I'm the type of person who I, 
if I witness it, then I want to do it too. So if I see someone playing the guitar and playing the song, that's great. But then I want to do that as well. I want to be able to produce it. So the same thing, the same thing is true with the cooking. Like I've been watching YouTube videos of Gordon Ramsay and other chefs and, um, I'm inspired by them and I want to be the one doing it. And I, I think I'm really entertained, um, first of all, by watching them do that, but then, uh, doing it myself. So yeah, I, I would say a lot of my entertainment is just, um, kind of those developing my own skills, whether mm. that be playing guitar, playing piano, um, cooking, baking, lifting weights, that sort of thing. Yeah. Jump in and do things. Yeah. Life is not a spectator sport. Right. As right. they say. Okay, well, we talked about income and expenses. I actually kind of want to talk just about, you know, some common objections I've heard to fire in general, you know, financial independence, retire early, but then also too, uh, just, I don't know, critiques that I've heard. And, you know, when people say, oh, well, yeah, this must be easy for you, you know, because uh, you're not married. You don't have nine children and an iguana. So this must be easy for you. I mean, could a married person do fire? I, well, I guess I don't know for sure. <laughs> but I do love the critics. I think it, it's um, it's funny, I guess, listening to uh, people complain and whine um, as if like they have no ability to change the situation at all. And I think you, you can encounter uh, people making these sort of claims anywhere. Like, oh, like my, like I can't change anything about my life. Like you, you have it so good because you don't have this sort of thing or you don't have, you're not able or you're able to do this thing because you don't have this like that I do. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm just not a big fan of that. Like I'm not, I don't like to complain. I try not to complain about like my situation. Um, I just try to do something. I try, I, like I, I almost love being in a situation where I'm at um, a disadvantage because being in a situation where you're at a disadvantage really makes the creative juices flow. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I guess I can't say for sure, like, what it's going to be like when, I have, when I'm married and I have kids. I'm, I'm sure it will be different. Like, I, I acknowledge that it will be harder to save at the level that I'm saving. And I don't imagine that I, I will save at the level that I'm able to currently. However, I, I do think there are there are still going to be ways in which I can imagine um, how to save money still or how to live a certain way in which we are able to save rather than live paycheck to paycheck. Um, and I do have friends who have done this too. So I, I know, like, I, I guess I can speak to their experience that like, <clears throat> I know a friend who, instead of doing the typical thing of having his wife have a car and he have a car, uh, he chooses to ride his bike to his classes and, and he teaches uh, by riding his bike and getting to school. Um, so a similar thing that I'm doing, or I, I know actually multiple friends who are doing something like that. Um, and, and he's actually told me before that he thinks it's increased his marital happiness that, that he actually, like, because he and his wife have to communicate and talk more, that they're actually, it's deepening their relationship because they're not just, they're not just completely doing their own thing but they're actually coming together and having to figure out, okay, like, what's your schedule today? And what's your schedule? And then how can we make this work? Um, so he actually thinks, again, it's, it's, it's advantageous to be forced to think together or be forced to think creatively, like, how could we do this? Um, 
So yeah, I imagine like, yes, it will be more difficult when you are married and we have kids and we have like all these extra expenses. But at the same time, I'm kind of like excited for it. Like to me, it's almost like, uh, like it's a fun, it's a fun thought experiment. Like, okay, like we got this situation now. Like how could I generate more income or how could we save more money or how can we cut certain expenses that we don't, that these expenses aren't actually making us happy. Uh, I love being imaginative about those sort of things. So yeah, I think it's still possible. It's just fun to brainstorm. Yeah. You know, and gosh, you know, what do they say? Uh, one person calls it a problem. The next person calls it a catastrophe. And the other person, I guess, says, hey, this is an opportunity for yeah, growth. Exactly. It's an opportunity. You know, yeah. One person is seeing Chernobyl and the other person is seeing the collapse of the Soviet Union, which is a good thing. Yeah. So, okay. Um, now, I've also heard the objection uh, from two separate women. That there's just no way any woman is ever going to sign on to fire. <laughs> well, there, plenty, there isn't like the main woman who, or the main person leading fire, isn't she a woman? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, think so. Uh, Vicky Rodriguez, I can't quite remember her name yeah. right now. She wrote a book back in the 70s mm-hmm. called Your Money or Your Life. Mm-hmm. And the basic premise was, is, uh, okay, so you're working 50 hours a week at a job you hate. Mm-hmm. And you're doing it for money. Wouldn't you rather have a life? Yeah. Your right. money or your life? Yeah. That was the basic premise of her book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Is, is a woman going to be able to sign up for this sort of life with me? <laughs> it's a big question. I don't know. Um, no, I, I think realistically, I'm, I'm not the type of person who's all about like diminishing value. Like I think that's one of my biggest things. Like I'm... I critique purchases. I critique the way that I live um, because I want my life to be valuable. I want it to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if a purchase is not, like if I'm going to be spending this money that I don't have a lot of, I want this to be something meaningful that I'm spending it on. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not against spending to to any sort like to only to a degree. I'm I'm against it. Um, like if something's if if like an experience of traveling to Europe is going to like really pay dividends for our family unity, I would definitely be open to it. Or if it, like having a really nice fireplace in our house is is going to bring us closer together, like sure, we'll, we'll save money and in, in, invest in a fireplace. Um, but it's it's just the, I guess it's the principle of being really reflective on purchases and asking the question: Is this truly going to bring our family more joy? Um, because if it is, sure, I'm totally fine spending money on it. I'm not against spending money. It's spending money on things that are actually not, um, uh, going to make you happy, um, or bring you joy or bring you value, I guess. So yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> I guess don't, don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I'm a fan of saving money, investing money, but I also love spending it as well when it increases meaning in my life. Okay. And, and just to put this again in the larger context, uh, this is a man who many months is saving 70% of his income and investing uh, a lot of the money in Vanguard index funds, which uh, if you go back to 1895, uh, Vanguard didn't exist, but the stock market since 1895 has gone up by roughly 9.5% per year uh, since 1895. We don't really have data going back before then. So all this means basically whatever you invest, the money can double roughly about every seven and a half years. So, I mean, here's a person who is enjoying life and spending money, but saving 
Coffin um, time, 70%. One month, I think you said you said 95%. <laughs> I don't remember that, but <laughs> it must have been a good month. <laughs> I think it was a pretty good month for you. Let's so, I guess uh, just one last lifestyle question. Uh, your clothing. I mean, mm-hmm. just are your clothes just threadbare? <laughs> I mean, are, are you wearing this, like, I don't know, great grandpa in the Great Depression bought a new suit on the day of the crash in 29. Then we go to World War II in 1939 and still wearing the same clothing. <laughs> no, this is this is funny. I think uh, my roommates and I were talking about um, men's clothing the other day and that men typically, I, I think this is the case that men typically wear the clothes that like they associate with their best years um, or like the time period of like, they imagine like, this is my, this is my best, my peak time. And, and they continue to persist in the same clothing that like from that time period, like their style just never changes. They get stuck in a decade. Yeah. Right. I've read about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I could see that to a degree because you get to like maybe 18 and you're kind of done uh, at least growing tall, maybe not <laughs> wide, <laughs> but it, uh, if you don't like, yeah, get overweight, you kind of can persist in the same clothing for quite some time and choose to. Um, so I think my clothing budget is pretty like minimal because uh, like I, I try my best to like really um, buy clothes that are versatile that I can wear um, with many different outfits. I can wear... Um, yeah, I, I could wear for for many years too, um, but but again, I'm not uh, I'm not against spending money again, um, especially with like clothing that is worth it. Like for example, the boots that I purchased are actually pretty expensive boots. They're red red wing boots um, made in Minnesota, um, and they're yeah they're not cheap. However, I've worn them almost like maybe every other day for the past two or three years now. Okay. So like to me, that's like, it's a worthwhile purchase, even though they might cost two to three times more than a pair of boots on Amazon. Mm. Um, they, I think they're, they're the type of thing that's worth spending a little bit more money on and they're super comfortable. They, they never smell because they're all uh, authentic leather, you know? So like, yeah, certain things like that. I think you can, you can find things that are maybe more expensive, but worth it. Okay, now you don't have to disclose any numbers, but um, when, if you keep going at the rate you're going, uh, mm-hmm. when would you feel where you could say, hey, I'm going to retire. I, I could retire now. Hmm. And then, you know, using whatever rule, the 4% rule, any other type of rule, mm-hmm. I, I will now have enough investment cash to live off of for the rest of my life. Yeah. When could you retire? Not that you would. Right. That well, if, if I remain in the situation I'm in currently, a single guy, and I remain single for the rest of my life, then it'd be a much different story than if I were to get married and have kids and that sort of thing. Um, I think <clears throat> if I was single, it would be pretty pretty soon. I think, I don't remember what I recently said, but it would be w- within the next 10 years. Okay. Um, just because my expenses are so low, I don't really have to like get a high degree of a portfolio to really cover my expenses. Um, so, but I think more really realistically, I'll be getting married and having children someday. Um, but my goal, again, like I said at the beginning, has never been to retire early and, and not do anything with my life. I guess a financial independence retire early to me is more like having the ability to um, perhaps change jobs, perhaps reduce the amount of hours if necessary, if, uh, if that makes uh, a better life for my family someday. It's just the flexibility. That's what I like about the movement. 
is that it, it, yeah, it allows a person flexibility to, um, to make changes in their life, uh, that increase overall well-being. So yeah, I'm, I'm not really forecasting like, okay, once I'm 50, 52, then it's, then it's all fun and games, but it's more, it's more like I'm saving and investing to have a portfolio that allows flexibility. Um, and I mean, I'm already at the point where like, I do have some flexibility. If I needed to, to do something, um, substantial, make a substantial change, I probably could right now. However, I don't want to, like the, the longer I can put off something, um, that's going to eat into my portfolio, the better. Um, yeah, but it's, it's just all about giving yourself the potential to do short more, uh, do more things than just have to work paycheck to paycheck always. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, I think that's a good philosophy. I just agree with it completely. Uh, okay. So I guess, um, is there any luck, any luck associated with what you do? Cause some people would just say, yeah, okay, look, this guy, I don't know what it is, but he just mm. must've lucked into like these I don't know, all these extra duty jobs or, you know, the fact that like sometimes he can work 70 hours a week or, mm-hmm. or I don't know, maybe he was, I don't know, born on third base, you know, just people just always say, well, maybe you're lucky. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I would admit uh, a great deal of my life is grace or a gift. I mean, my, my existence itself is a gift. Um, and I think uh, I've learned a lot from many of the, the saints of the Catholic Church who articulate this so well. And they say Therese Lussou's is one of them, that life is a gift. Um, everything is gift, no matter if it's a, it's a, a situation of suffering or what. But it, it, there's always some good to be found in it. But needless to say, I, I guess I have been uh, given so many gifts from my, my own parents, my family, um, it's from friends in Minnesota, from friends in Kansas city. Um, yeah, I have been, I have been given so many wonderful, um, whether they be like actually monetary, um, uh, like money gifts or, or other, th- other sort of things. Um, I, I, yeah, it'd be wrong for me not to recognize those people. Um, however, I think they're, that's not just uh, something that like I've been I'm given a gift and I don't do anything with it. Like I try my best to like give other people value too, and I I, I work my butt off like to to be able to like um, I guess yeah give other people value too. Like if if they give me a gift like um, normally it's it's reciprocated, but. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think there there is something with that as well. Like, I think I work really hard and people, I hope, like, recognize that and they see, like, oh, like, Tyler's the type of guy that, like, likes extra work. He likes extra jobs. And, mm. and uh, like, there have been already this summertime before people who've reached out to me to uh, do some painting for them or do some type of yard work thing for them. And, um, and I recognize that as a gift that they're, like, reaching out to me. But, like, it's not uh, just in a vacuum that like people are, are like reaching out to me like out of nowhere. I think there's like part of the reason why they're reaching out is because they know that like I des- I desire to, to like do good to people. I desire to um, do do work with my hands and all the, all these things. So um, yeah, I think there's there's it's like a both and like 
yeah, there, there's been a lot of mercy, but I've tried to act on that mercy, and, and with action comes more mercy, I guess, or yeah, more gift. Well, Thomas Jefferson, the author of America, said that uh, my enemies always said that I was lucky, and uh, they were right. I was lucky, but I've also found that the harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah, that's a good quote. Well, I like that. He's actually a brilliant writer. If you have never read anything by Thomas Jefferson, I really recommend reading something, anything. Mm -hmm. uh, the man expresses himself beautifully, and his thoughts are very, very deep. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it may be impossible to underrate Thomas Jefferson, just mm -hmm. my own personal opinion. Uh, whatever personal failings he had, uh, he, you just still cannot un underrate the man. Mm -hmm. Author of the Declaration of Independence, just a wonderful human being in many yeah. respects. I think I've read that one before. That's, that, that's a yeah. That's a pretty pivotal document. <laughs> that one's that one's kind of common, kind of been read. Uh, what's the smartest thing you think you've ever done with money? Hmm. Uh, well, it's not like a an exhilarating thing again. It's just um, saving and investing early. I think. Um, yeah, index funds. I, I don't know if the listeners are there. Any listeners yet? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Episode number two <laughs> for the listeners who, yeah, maybe unaware of like index funds. Those are just like a broad range of different funds that um, kind of cover your your uh, rear end, so that you're not just investing in one company, but you're investing in a, in a broad range of companies, um, comparable to like let's say you're investing in. Like someone came to you and said, "Like, hey, do you think uh, Jack Stack in Kansas City is going to be here? It's a restaurant in Kansas City. Do you think they're going to be here in in uh, thirty five years? Do you think they'll still be around?" And you might say, like, mm, "Perhaps. Like, they, they're a pretty good restaurant, but you could also say, like, well, restaurants, even if they're even if they're good, they go away after a while. So, like, it's kind of like a mm, I don't know. It's a toss up. But if you were to ask a person the second question, um, like, do you think that restaurants will be a thing in Kansas City in 35 years from now? And unless we have another type of pandemic like we're having right now, um, I think the answer is like, yeah, of course. Like, people are still going to be going out to eat uh, more than like it's it's a much safer bet to bank on the fact that people are going to be going to restaurants. And that's a similar phenomenon with index funds. I think like you're you're banking on the fact that there's going to be like an economy. Um, so to speak. So yeah, just investing in index funds is there's like no really like mental, um, like you don't have to put a lot of mental work into it. It's just uh, it's a very easy thing to do, um, and that's I guess what I've been doing with my money. It's probably like it's what every investor tells you to do. Like just set it, forget it. Make sure that you've made a habit of, of automating these um, transactions to occur every paycheck. Um, yeah, it's it's not something like it's not like oh I just got a thousand bucks for free or like or I just got like all this stuff like it, it doesn't happen quickly it happens over time and you normally don't like witness it until like you have a substantial sum but I think that truly is the smartest thing and and it kind of is like free money it's kind of it kind of uh, your your money is working for you so yeah I'd say that's probably the smartest decision well I, I agree uh, I would say it's somewhere around ninety seven percent of all my investments outside of my house are in index funds. Mm -hmm. uh, I just absolutely believe in those 100%. 
And if you were listening, I would say invest today because if you wait seven and a half years, uh, a lot of people could say, I'm still young, I'm not 27. Mm -hmm. But their friend who started when their friend was 19 and a half, that money's already had a whole period to double. Mm -hmm. So then if the money's going to double six or seven times by the time they are, say, 70 years old, Mm -hmm. uh, one person might have that particular sum turn into 100000 but the other person would have it turn into Mm 50000 simply because they missed that initial doubling period. Mm -hmm. So I guess I am trying to make money while I sleep Mm -hmm. by investing in index funds. I feel like I'm doing good for the world Mm -hmm. by investing in the world economy and Mm -hmm. helping entrepreneurs bring us good things, Mm -hmm. helping people have the products that they need to live. Uh, I really truly believe in the free market and investing. investing. It's the best anti-poverty program there is just something i very much believe in um let me ask what's the dumbest thing you've ever done with money <laughs> mm, trying to think of some purchases i've made <laughs> um well probably a couple of things i have i have tried to time the market a couple of times um and it, it's such a it's such a funny thing that like like human beings i know like i've done this i know a lot of my friends have done this like when you see that the stock market's just doing so well it's like man i really should have more money in that and like i think it was back in october when i i had a, a chunk of money in my savings account that i like i really didn't have to have that much money in my savings account but and i kept like the i mean the stock market just kept going up i was like man like i should really like have more in the stock market so i like i dumped a bunch in <laughs> within like a week it like took a pretty quick dive um i was like no like oh, pretty much everything i put in there is like gone um <laughs> or at least it seemed like that so i think and i think back in like um i think in, in the springtime too like it started going up again and i think i felt the same thing i didn't invest but i like almost did and that's like when the pandemic struck so it's like, it's like those timed, like when you're trying to time the market and say like, oh, like this could be a really good time. Uh, it's normally not the time to put your money in or take your money out. Um, so yeah, I think those are some dumb decisions on my end. Um, and then, I mean, uh, probably one other one is my motorcycle. I think like I've enjoyed it quite a bit uh, and it's, a, it's, it's fun. However, if I were to redo that purchase, I would probably buy it um, just used off of Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist. Uh, I ended up buying it with 0% interest. So that was nice. It's like uh, it was four years, 0% interest, which is, I think, a great deal. However, I think I just, uh, since I bought it from the dealer, they added in. I mean, there's just like a lot of extra expenses and it was brand new. Um, and I, I just didn't really need to have all the extra insurance that they, they gave to me and yeah, so something like that. I think buying used is typically a better uh, idea. Do motorcycles retain their value? Yeah, I, I think they do more, and they have less of a range to decrease in their value too. I mean, because every car goes to zero or to. Right. I guess I sell mine to the junk man when they hit about one hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it depends on the motorcycle you buy, but like, I don't know. Like maybe a typical like. You could buy a motorcycle brand new from like five grand to like 20 grand. I don't know exactly what the range is. Mine was a little less than 10 grand. Um, so, I mean, yeah, the, the depreciation that it has is not as uh, as great as like buying a brand new car, which is like 30 grand. Like that's going to be, 
30 grand is, is a great deal of depreciation versus only like nine grand. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to retain its value for a much longer time because of that. Not, not like a car for sure. Yeah. 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 Okay, uh, let's talk college here briefly because uh, tell me, what were your two majors in college? Mm, I went for very lucrative, very lucrative majors, <laughs> philosophy and theology. Um, and yeah, probably not like the most common majors, uh, at least today when like, I think people are more focused on um, utility or what's going to bring like a good paycheck in someday. Um but I truly wasn't interested in that. Like in, in high school, I, I found myself like unsure about what I wanted to do. I was interested in, in finance as well. Um, I was really good with numbers and I was pretty good with science and uh, intrigued by those things. But I was most intrigued by <clears throat> um, a study of things like, like, I guess in a way, like beyond myself, like wisdom, um, the, the study of God, um, those things were just so intriguing and perplexing and, and seemed to add more value to my own life than um, merely things of like this world, I guess, um, or like finance or like I'm not against uh, professions which are merely based on utility because like, I think they definitely have their place and um, like I, I myself am all about like becoming more useful to other people and so I'm not against that, but I, I was... I wanted to devote at least part of my life to becoming a better thinker, um, becoming, uh, yeah, just more, more wise or at least like able to, um, understand the world in a deeper way. And I think there, there's been great value to that. Like I tell my students, like I encourage my students to, um, if they go off to like a good a school that offers a good philosophy department, um, I mean, you could probably get into some of their um, more skeptical or whatever it might be. But I think it's it's very valuable to develop your your thoughts, to develop like your ability to reflect, your ability to argue, to to see whether an argument is is valid and sound. Um, and yeah, I'm just so thankful that I, I ended up. Um, majoring in those things because I think I am a little bit more capable of weeding out the the BS <laughs> in my life um, and thinking on my own. Uh, there, there's such value to that to be able to like not have to always resort to somebody else to tell you like exactly like this is how you should live your life. Um, not that it's like a, a horrible thing, um, but for example, like I'm Catholic and and I value the the wisdom of the church, um, but to a certain extent, like it's it's not satisfying to always like a- follow up a- an answer or a-, a question with an answer like, "Well, the Catholic Church says this," or "The Catholic Church says that." Even for a student like asking questions in class, and if you always give the the, the response like, "Well, this is what the Catholic Church says," um, they're they're kind of left with like like, okay, well that's like. It's not sufficient, you know, like it's just, it's an argument um, that doesn't have any meat to it uh, unless you fill that, fill that, um, fill that up with like the Catholic church says this because of this reason. And that those, that's like what I've been searching for is like, what is, what's the reason for doing X, Y, or Z? Um, and 
I don't know. There's just so much value to knowing like, okay, I live my life because, because of this reason rather than just because my parents did it or because somebody else is doing it in society. Like I want, I want to know what's the best way to live and, and why is it, why is it the best way to live? Um, so yeah, I recommend it to everybody to, if you, if you're not going to go study philosophy at a, at a university or with somebody smart, um, or wise, I, I, I think I would recommend reflecting. I think uh, like what's one of the, the great quotes from Plato, like the unreflected life is a life not worth living. Um, I strongly um, believe that sentence. Um, like if you're, if you're just going through the motions in your life, not thinking twice about what you're doing, like of course you're not going to make any progress because you're just doing the same thing every single day. And if it's not working today, it's not going to work tomorrow. Um, but if you take a moment to think like, is this actually the way that I should be living? Is this actually the way I should be treating this person? Is this actually like, um, is this actually good? Like a question like that, uh, might be hard to wrestle with at first, but it, it makes things, um, it makes life worth living if you understand the reason, you know? So yeah, I'm very thankful that I ended up studying those things because, Perhaps not uh, professions that grant a lot of money. Unfortunately, they are um, professions that bestow a lot of value, I think. Okay. So um, I, I think that's a very thoughtful answer. Uh, the unexamined life is not worth living. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if people reconsider how you've managed your finances according to that principle, uh, but also the fact that you manage the rest of your life according to that principle, I, I think they can see the uh, the applicability, uh, applicability of those majors. I think people can see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, let's say that you're a little older and now you have kids mm-hmm. and uh, one of them comes to you and says, uh, Daddy, I want to major in theater mm-hmm. or I want to major in poetry mm-hmm. or I want to major in psychology. I think there's something like 75,000 psychology majors every year for mm-hmm. maybe 2,000 available jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if some if somebody in your family, uh, your child comes to you and says, I want a major that looks useless <laughs> on the surface. Yeah. Uh, how do you respond? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I think there's a place for useless things. And I think you could list a lot of things, whether that be uh, literature, drama, poetry, um, things that you had. Sports. Yeah, sports. They bestow no like intrinsic utility. However, we value them so much. Um, it's the reason why we have museums and stadiums and whatever it might be. Like People love that stuff. They, they just gravitate toward it. Um, so I, I think... <clears throat> If I had a son or daughter who wanted to do something, quote unquote, like useless, I would, I would, I would be open to it. I think, however, I would encourage them to have some type of skill, though, as well. Um, like develop maybe uh, on summer breaks or um, yeah, just as like a part time job, develop like the skill of um, carpentry or. Um, or being able to do some masonry or I don't know, just like things that like, like if they're going to do something use, like a, a, a so-called useless a so, major, yeah, so-called I'll useless say major. I don't, I don't think these majors are useless. Yeah. I truly don't, but let's just call them useless yeah, for now. Right. They don't provide much utility in, in the strict sense of the word. Um, I would be open to that as long as they're like 
still developing some type of useful skill. And I, I, I tried to do this. My parents, and I'm thankful that they did this. They encouraged me to have summer jobs, um, but not just like a summer job that's um, the well, same thing over and yeah, over. Yeah, like just just go to the grocery store and bag groceries. Like, yeah, somebody has to do that. But if you can get a summer job that's encouraging your own skills, like the growth in your own skills, um, that'd be so much better. And they often pay higher wages too because it, it takes skill to do these things but like for my summer jobs throughout college I, I'd worked as a residential construction worker building homes and doing a lot of carpentry and that actually is like like made me fall in love with carpentry and I, I do a lot more of it now um, I did some residential landscaping too trimming shrubs and I, I actually like understand um, how landscaping should should look and, and what makes it look really nice and how to trim shrubs and um, yeah I've, I've, I've done other jobs I've, I've had plenty of jobs throughout my life doing like summertime work uh, I've been building cabinets too so I think if I had a child like that that wanted to do something like that I'd also encourage them to uh, work with their hands or work it in some type of technical or useful way so that if it didn't work out maybe in, in like becoming the world's best poet that they could uh they could do something else as well, or, or they have uh, maybe s- enough skills to build upon to do something else if they needed to. Okay. I, I think that's a good answer. I, I just always kind of feel that if somebody says, hey, I'm going to major in, well, anything for that matter, it could be something super practical like engineering or pharmacy. Uh, but I, I just always kind of feel like double major if you can mm-hmm. uh, and build up your skills outside of school mm-hmm. uh, I always kind of wanted to be a writer and when I was 18 I, I sort of came to the realization that two things my writing instructors were excellent mm-hmm. they, they were just really awesome and the second realization was they can't teach me everything that I want to know mm-hmm. that if I just rely exclusively on them uh, I'm just not going to get anywhere Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I sort of had to develop my own programs for mm-hmm. reading and writing mm-hmm. and building my skills. Mm-hmm. And I wish I would have been even more intentional about it than I was. I tried to be systematic. I think that that's just a good thing to do is just realize that college is good, but what other skills am I building and am I adding? That being said, the uh, the so-called useless majors do make life worth living. Somebody once said that if we eliminated literature art, sports, music, and all the things that make life beautiful, life would go on. It just would be very drab and very gray. Mm-hmm. Like prison. Like prison. <laughs> uh, life would be a, a prison sentence. Nasty, brutish, and short. Uh, let me ask this question then. Uh, suppose we enter an era where we have 25% unemployment. Mm-hmm. So... I kind of feel for most of my life, people have said you should follow your passion and you should try to find the ideal job for you. And you should really try to figure out who you are and you should try to, you know, maximize your potential. Um, I don't know if people had that luxury in 1932. Uh, We were in the depths of the Depression. Unemployment hit 25%. And we really didn't get out of the Depression until 1940 when unemployment dropped to 10% due to World War II. And then when we got into war, of course, it effectively went to zero at that point. Um, That was a long time, a long Mm -hmm. time for unemployment to be sky high. Uh, What would be your advice to people in 
a 25% unemployment situation. Like if they if they themselves face unemployment or... Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. That maybe I have a job and maybe I don't know. Maybe it's hanging by a thread. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I, I'm the best worker there, but maybe the company's going to close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe I'm the worst worker <clears throat> there. I guess either way. Right. Yeah. Huh. My I job think, is hanging by yeah, a thread. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I guess like in anticipation of something like that, uh, like... I admit that we could have something like that. I mean, we kind of do right now with so many people out of jobs. 40 million. Yeah. I think um, in anticipation of it, you want to almost like prepare yourself for something like that. And I've, I've, I've thought about that as a teacher um, <clears throat> that I, I, I don't know, maybe the school I teach at shuts down or, um, or maybe I get fired or whatever it might be. I could lose my job as a teacher. So what, what would I do if that's the case? Um, and I think that's part of the reason why I've tried to really develop my own skills and talents. Like if I don't know how to do something, I really like, I try, I devote myself to it for like the extent of maybe a year or more. Um, because I don't want to be like just one-sided. I want to be able to, I want to be able to teach. I want to be able to, uh, build things with my hands. I want to be able to, uh, encourage people on how to be fit or like, like so many different things. Like if I don't know how to do something, I'm the type of person who is intrigued and wanting to, um, I guess be humiliated for a while of like, of, of being an amateur. I guess that's kind of my, uh, maybe my point. Like, in the in the state of life that you're in currently, be okay with being an amateur for a little while. Mm-hmm. Develop your skills. Be be humble enough to start the process, start the journey of becoming better at, at a certain thing. Because then you like in the in the case of an unemployment uh, period, you want to you want to be able to market yourself more than another person is. Uh, and if you only have one skill and that skill isn't needed right now, well, yeah, then you're you're probably not going to be able to get a job. But if you have like 15 skills and you can, you can um, maybe mix and match and, and, and you're the type of person who's open to learning and can learn pretty quickly because you've done a lot of things, I think you're, you're much more um, capable of finding work. Um, but yeah, like being, and even in the case of unemployment, if, um, if you're the person who's never done anything other than the one thing you've always done, you're not going to want to try something new, even if somebody would hire you to like clean toilets or something like that, whatever it might be. So I think, yeah, like my advice to that would probably just be, uh, be willing to do something that you're not used to. Maybe it makes you a little uncomfortable. Uh, maybe it makes you feel a little humble or humiliated. Um, cause that's, that's where the growth happens. And, um, it just makes you much more open to many other possibilities. Absolutely. So be humble enough to take any job. Yeah. There are, there yeah. are no low jobs. All mm-hmm. jobs are good. Yeah. yeah. If, yeah, if you're in that case, obviously you want to like take a job that might be like more fitting to your talents. But, um, yeah, if you're in the case where like you don't have any work, mm-hmm. yeah, be humble enough to accept the work that you're given for the time being. People yeah. in the depression, as far as I understand, it's we're just simply not selective. Mm-hmm. They they would take whatever was available, mm-hmm. and all jobs were their dream job mm-hmm. during yeah. that era. Right. And then if you had that job, you definitely did your best at that job so that you could keep that job. Mm-hmm. Uh, people just that's that's what you have to do in, in right. tough times. Mm-hmm. When there's three percent unemployment, well, then it's an employee's market. Mm-hmm. But when there's twenty five percent unemployment, I guess it's the other way around.
is there is there anything that I that I missed that you really would like to talk about? I think we'll have to say that for part two. Okay, okay. <laughs> then let me just ask this final parting question. Uh, let's just call it the rocking chair test. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're a hundred years old. You're on the porch of your house. Uh, your beautiful wife is nearby. Uh, you are surrounded by your children and your grandchildren. And maybe there's even a few great-grandchildren in the mix. And uh, you are looking back on a beautiful life. What do you see? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> this is a big question, Tim. <laughs> um, I think I'm probably going to say something about um, making a gift of self. Like, I hope, I hope when I'm at that point, I will look back on a life that... Uh, is filled with self-gift. Uh, and I'm thinking of St. John Paul II when I say that, that I think he had such a, a way of articulating this. And I think the, the phrase is like, man finds himself in a sincere gift of self. Like we, we, only, we only become who we're meant to be by giving of what we have to give. Um, yeah, I think I would, I, I think I'd be most proud and most happy of the ways in which I selflessly gave of myself to my wife, to my, my children, um, to the, to, to the community, to anybody in my life. I think the more that we give, I think the happier we become. So I think it'd, it'd probably be that. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tyler. This has just been absolutely excellent. And I hope to have you on the show again. <laughs> That'd be great. Thanks for having me, Tim. Awesome. This is wonderful. Thank you for listening to Seemingly Ordinary, a podcast about people I admire deeply for the fantastic things that they have done with their life. Before we go, I just want to mention that the biggest favor you could do for me would be to share this podcast with your friends. Or maybe the biggest favor you could do for me would be for you to check out my books on Amazon. I have two thrillers, The Conspiracy of 1869, which is a shoot-em-up, and also The Forbidden Book which is maybe just a little too weird for me to describe. Also, there is a nonfiction book, Money for Teens, A Guide for Life. It has a hundred bite-sized chapters designed to help teenagers stack up cash. Finally, a disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to provide legal, professional, animal husbandry, plant or vegetation, or any other kind of advice. I have no advice. I just have ideas I read a lot, and I change my mind frequently. Take care of yourself. Until next time.